I should warn my listeners that this episode is very graphic and it may be hard to listen to for some. Listener's discretion is advised. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Black and Cold. I am your host, Nichelle, and I am back with another week of true crime for The Overshadowed. So we are up to episode number five, and the case I will be discussing today is actually new for me. I have never heard of this case until recently, and it is bananas. Like, it is such a tragedy. I know you all are probably like, girl, you kind of say this every week, but I am just hoping to bring this story to light because I find it bizarre that it just hasn't gotten much media attention. And who knows, maybe I missed it. I don't know. But this is one of the reasons why I chose to do this podcast in the first place. And hopefully, hopefully we can all get that to change with time. Before I begin, I'm just going to say it again. Please continue to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And I also take case suggestions, which the link can be found in the description of this episode. All right, so let's jump into it. The case today comes out of the state of New Jersey, and it is not too far from where I am. So again, that makes it even more crazy that I have never heard of this. I will be talking about the 2016 murder of a 20-year-old student named Sarah Butler. Now, Sarah was well-loved, and her family and friends stopped at nothing to find her killer, But as time went on, more information started to come out about the man behind her murder. And eventually, this led the police to discovering that they had a serial killer at hand. Twenty-year-old Sarah Butler was raised in Montclair, New Jersey, which is about 30 to 40 minutes outside of New York City. She lived with her parents, Laverne and Victor Butler, and she was the middle child of their three daughters. So they lived in the area known as the South End section of Montclair, and their neighborhood was very diverse, and it seemed to be pretty popular at the time. Montclair was newly gentrified, so there was a lot of new apartment buildings, coffee shops, and lounges nearby. Laverne and Victor both worked full-time jobs and wanted the best out of all of their children, and they tried to keep them protected from any harm. Victor even told um, True Crime Daily that he didn't let any of his daughters go anywhere by themselves, I guess, while they were growing up, so he was definitely a protective papa. Sarah was described by her loved ones as sweet, free-spirited, and bubbly. As an extracurricular activity, Sarah took dance classes, and she was really good at it. While she was in high school, Sarah actually led her dance team, and at some point during her dance career, she even went on to perform at the Apollo in Harlem, and her and her dance team won third place there on amateur night in June of 2016. 
She was always dancing, even during her idle time, according to one of her friends. And after she graduated from high school, Sarah went on to attend New Jersey City University. So she was a commuter her freshman year, but just like any average college student, she wanted that dorm room life experience. So by her sophomore year, that's when she moved to campus. Sarah worked as a lifeguard to pay for her college tuition, and she also babysat to make some extra cash. She was on the road to becoming the first member of her family to graduate from college. On November 22, 2016, at 8 o'clock p.m., Laverne Butler went to pick her daughter Sarah up from school because it was their Thanksgiving break. When they arrived home, Sarah actually went back to her mom to ask her for the car keys so she can head out. She told her mom that she was going to go meet up with a friend just to tell them bye. Her mom says that she didn't know who this friend was, but it was Thanksgiving break, so she didn't think it was out of the ordinary for her to want to say bye to people. Before leaving their home, Sarah's younger sister recalled her getting a phone call, and the person on the other line appeared to be waiting for her. Her younger sister told True Crime Daily that she remembers Sarah answering the phone, and she said, quote, Okay, okay, I'm coming, I'm coming, end quote. Her younger sister then asked her who was that, and Sarah just kind of brushed it off and told her that it was nobody and that she was going out. She pointed out this was strange for her sister to do as the two were extremely close, pretty much like best friends. But Sarah shortly after that walked out the door and left. As the night went on, Laverne wasn't concerned at first because sometimes Sarah would sleep at a friend's house. But when the next day came and she still wasn't home, that's when Laverne tried calling her, but she was getting no answer. Laverne was even getting frustrated at one point because she just couldn't understand why her daughter wasn't returning her calls. But as more time went by, that's when Laverne realized something might have been wrong. Laverne and her family eventually called hospitals, but there was still no signs of Sarah. The butlers ended up calling the police, and before anyone knew it, the entire neighborhood seemed to be looking for their daughter. As this search was going on, Sarah's friends, with the help of her sisters, began to do their own investigations. And three days later, on November 25th, 2016, one of Sarah's friends ended up stumbling across the butler's minivan that Sarah would have been driving the night that she left. It was abandoned behind an old factory. Now, this friend wasn't the only one that was finding clues. Sarah's older sister, Bersania Daly, in addition to more of her friends, ended up logging on to Sarah's social media accounts just to see if they could get any more information. And that's when they found out that Sarah had been in contact with someone on the app called Tagged. So Tagged is a social media app, and I'm not really familiar with it, but When I checked out the site, it looks similar to how MySpace used to look, but it also kind of resembles Facebook. I don't really know, but it was well known for people to meet up on. And some people used it to find friends, some people used it to date, and it was also heavily used by many to solicit sex. Basania, along with Sarah's friends, were able to determine that she was last in contact with the man behind the username Lil Yacht Rock. So they then did something really clever, and kudos to them. They created a fake tagged page, and they lured Lil Yacht Rock in, and it worked because this dude took the bait immediately. 
They ended up chatting with him for a little behind their fake profile, and they even arranged a meetup. So they set this meetup at a Panera Bread in Glenridge, New Jersey, and instead of being greeted by a young woman who he thought he met online, the police were there waiting for him. So Lil Yacht Rock was confronted, and that's where he gave officers his real name. He was 20-year-old Khalil Wheeler Weaver of Orange, New Jersey. He was asked a few questions, and it was reported that he was fully cooperative. On top of that, remember, the police did not have a body at this point, so they had to let him go. They had no reason to consider him as a suspect at this point. But authorities continued to watch Khalil, and they even tracked his cell phone, which led them to one of his last location pings, which was at Eagle Rock Reservation, which is a park in West Orange, a neighboring town to Montclair. As days went by, the butlers knew they were in for a harsh reality. And as Victor was out putting flyers up of Sarah, who was still missing, he received a frantic phone call from home. The police were there and they asked the butlers to show them a picture of Sarah. And that's when they received the worst news. On December 1st, 2016, nine days after she left her home, police were able to confirm that they found Sarah's body in Eagle Rock Reservation, where Wheeler Weaver's phone last pinged. She was found just three miles from her home, and her body was said to be buried under twigs and leaves, and it was discarded along rusted pipes and trash. Law enforcement was able to initially determine that Sarah had been strangled to death. Sarah's loved ones were distraught, and they could not believe what they were hearing. But little did they know that Sarah's homicide would bring other victims to light as well. So we know there's a pandemic currently going on, but everyone still deserves to take their events to the next level, even if it is a small one. Les Deux Event Design is an event planning service that offers some of the most amazing floral decor that you will probably ever see. Not only do they create the most beautiful flower arrangements, but they can also assist in planning your whole entire event. Le Deux, which means both in French, was started by two amazing young women, and they are here to assist you with some of your best life memories. If you are looking to have an event, reach out to the Le Deux ladies today. They offer services in the tri-state area. You can contact them, and you can see some of their work on their Instagram at L-E-S-D-E-U-X-D. On December 6th, 2016, five days after her body was discovered, Khalil Wheeler Weaver was arrested and taken into custody in connection with Sarah's death. He was initially charged with murder as well as disturbing human remains. Wheeler Weaver's bail was set at $1 million. As if this case isn't tragic enough already, it gets worse, unfortunately. On December 5th, 2016, which was the day before Khalil's arrest, at 10.35 a.m., authorities found an unidentified woman's body in an abandoned home on Highway Avenue in Orange. They were tipped off by some contractors who called 911 in regards to an unresponsive person. According to the detective's affidavit, the woman's nose and mouth were covered with tape and a jacket was wrapped around her neck. The body was soon identified to be 33-year-old Joanne Brown from Newark, New Jersey. 
I haven't been able to find a clear timing on when police were able to officially connect Khalil to this crime, but they did. And just like they did in regards to Sarah's death, they were able to confirm his connection through his phone pings. They were able to determine that Khalil Wheeler Weaver was at the same abandoned home where Joanne was found. According to the affidavit, his cell phone records placed him on Highway Avenue where the vacant home was 30 minutes before picking Joanne up, and then he returned. They were also able to see that he stayed in the vicinity for about an hour before he left, and after he left, he never went back. Joanne's body was found only six blocks from where Khalil Wheeler Weaver lived with his family. New Jersey police now had two women brutally murdered but it didn't stop there. They were able to connect Khalil to another deceased young woman. On September 1st, 2016, firefighters discovered the body of a young woman. She was found dead after a fire erupted in an abandoned building. She was also found in the neighborhood of Orange. This woman was confirmed to be 19-year-old Robin West. She was actually previously reported missing in Union County. Robin was so severely burned, making her hard to identify. She was identified by using dental records just a few days after she was discovered. Robin West, who from the info that I found on her, was originally from Philly, and initially before Khalil was tied to her homicide, it was unclear why she was in this area, but I'm actually going to touch on that in just a few. So Mr. Wheeler Weaver was not taken by surprise for any of these three murders that were about to be brought to him. According to NJ.com, he was supposedly questioned after Robin's body was initially found back in September. She was the first victim. Detectives were able to pinpoint Khalil as they had evidence that showed him picking up Robin, making him the last person to see her. As investigators were talking to him, it was said that he was very calm and even helpful, and at first they initially even looked at him as a witness. Khalil even led detectives to an abandoned home where he says he dropped Robin off at, but they didn't find her at the time. And the reason why they didn't find her initially is because she was not at the building where Khalil had led them to. She was actually discovered less than two blocks away from where he showed them. So it appears that he tried to lead them to a different location on purpose, knowing where she really was. During his moment as a voluntary witness, in regards to Robin's death, Wheeler Weaver was also asked about the scratches on his arms. And I'm not sure what his response was to that, but at this specific moment, investigators just did not know who this man was. So now this New Jersey area had three deceased women who were all last seen with this one man. As Khalil was sitting in jail, all of this evidence was just coming out. During the investigation, it came out that both Joanne Brown and Robin West were sex workers. And you know, this is probably another one of those main reasons why this case never got too much media attention. (laughs) But with the evidence that they did have, investigators were able to put together a timeline of what they think occurred when Khalil met up with each of them. So I'm just going to run through that as well as everyone's movements, just because this case has so much going on. 
19-year-old Robin West, who was from Philadelphia, as I stated, decided to take a trip to New Jersey in August of 2016 with her friend Bernicia. Bernicia was also a sex worker. The two often went places together to make sure that they were keeping each other safe. On August 31st, at 11 o'clock p.m., both Bernicia and Robin were approached by one of their first cars, which ended up being Khalil Wheeler Weaver. The news outlet North Jersey reported that before West actually drove off with him, Bernicia told Khalil, take care of my sister. She even went on to save his license plate number in her phone just for some extra precaution. But sadly, that didn't help this situation because, as we know, Robin never returned. She was found two weeks later, which was eight days after her birthday. Now we're going to fast forward to eight weeks later. 33-year-old Joanne Brown was hanging out with her friend Amina on October 22nd. And while the two were chilling, Khalil Wheeler Weaver met up with them sometime after 1 o'clock p.m. Amina was not a sex worker, but she knew that her friend was, and the two had a typical routine that when Joanne would head out with a client, she would call Amina and notify her on her whereabouts as well as tell her what time she was expected to return. But on this specific day, Joanne gave her phone to another friend, so she didn't take it with her. But she ended up borrowing Wheeler Weaver's phone and she called Amina at exactly 1.30 p.m., so only 14 minutes after he approached them. As time passed and Amina was waiting for another update from Joanne, that never came. But sometime after 3 o'clock p.m., Amina received a call back from Khalil's number. But when she answered and asked for her friend, he didn't say anything on the other line. He just stayed silent. Amina tried calling multiple times after that and never got a response. As we all know, Joanne never returned. Her body was found six weeks after her meetup with Khalil. Amina eventually gave the police the last number her friend called her from, and that was another way they were able to tie Khalil to Joanne. So where did Sarah come in this whole situation? She was not a sex worker. But more details came out about her interaction with Khalil. And I mentioned earlier that Tagged is a social media app that is for multiple uses. And one of those uses were people soliciting sex. And that's exactly what happened here. Police were able to retrieve messages between Sarah and Khalil from the Tagged app. And basically, Khalil just suggested that he would pay Sarah $500 to have sex with him. And according to the reports, she was hesitant at first, so hesitant that she didn't go through with it. And this is the part of this case that makes my heart drop. Sarah asked him, quote, you're not a serial killer, right? Laughing my ass off, end quote, which Wheeler Weaver told her no. And he easily manipulated Sarah into thinking that he had good intentions. It wasn't until two days later where she reconsidered. So now we're at two days later where Sarah changed her mind, which is also four and a half weeks after Khalil's encounter with Joanne. Sarah left her home that evening to meet up with Khalil Wheeler Weaver, and she picked him up on Highland Avenue from the same house where Joanne's body was just laying at the time. Khalil hopped in the Butler's Blue minivan at 9.55 p.m., So the two then drove to a 7-Eleven, which was not too far away, 
and Sarah stayed in the car while Wheeler Weaver went inside to buy condoms. Now, this is where things go bad for him because he's not realizing that security cameras have captured this man's whole fit. Like, he was wearing all black from his head down to his toes, as well as black gloves. At 10.07 p.m., Sarah and Khalil drove away and went to Eagle Rock Reservation Park, and that's when Sarah was never seen again. All three of these women were raped, their heads were wrapped with duct tape, and they were all strangled with an article of clothing. On top of that, remember Robin West died in a fire. But just to clear that up, the prosecution said that the fire was strongest on her body as opposed to other areas in the home. So this wasn't any accident. The focus of the fire was her. Robin, Joanne, and Sarah were all murdered within a 12-week span. So now I'm going to tell you guys about 33-year-old Tiffany Taylor of Jersey City. And no, I haven't mentioned that name as of yet. But she too was another one of Khalil Wheeler Weaver's victims. Fortunately, her life did not come to an end as she was able to outsmart him to her escape. So Tiffany met Khalil through a friend and the two seemed to have a fairly cool relationship. They hung out on a few occasions with their mutual friend and no line was ever crossed. Khalil always hinted that he wanted something more with Tiffany, and he even offered to pay her for sex. No shock there. But even though she wasn't into it or into him at all, she decided to go through with it. But then she changed her mind, taking Khalil's money that he had already given her up front. So seven months passed from the day that Tiffany backed out, and as time went on, she became more vulnerable when it came to finances due to personal things that she had going on with her family. So she ended up linking up in the drug game, unfortunately, for some extra cash. But now because of the line of work that she was doing, Tiffany was prone to getting phone calls and messages from all sorts of numbers. And there was this one number that just kept texting and this person was begging for sex. It was like this number just could not leave her alone. And one of the reports I read was that she even changed her number at some point. But this mystery person found that number and they even upped the price on how much they would pay her to have sex with them. So Tiffany eventually agreed to this request. On November 15th, 2016, and remember guys, this is seven days before Sarah went missing, a man arrived to pick Tiffany up at 7.51 p.m. This man had on all black from his head down to his toes, in addition to black gloves. Tiffany had no idea who this man was, and as the two drove off, sometime during their car ride, she pulled over. And it's not clear how he hit her, but Tiffany suddenly lost consciousness. When she woke up, Tiffany said that her head was hurting so bad that she felt like she couldn't breathe. And that's when he put her in a chokehold in the back seat. Tiffany told North Jersey News that she thought she was going to die. After waking up from losing consciousness again, the masked man finally revealed himself. It was Khalil Wheeler Weaver in the same outfit that the 7-Eleven surveillance footage caught him wearing the same night he was with Sarah. Tiffany pleaded with him, but she knew she had to find a way to get him to trust her. So that's when she found a way to ask him under the duct tape that was over her mouth to loosen the handcuffs he put on her because they were way too tight. 
Naive 20-year-old Khalil agreed to loosen them. And I read somewhere that Tiffany was actually double-jointed, so she was able to slip her left hand out of the cuffs. But she ended up leaving her hands in the cuffs, then that's where she came up with her own plan. In some way, somehow, Tiffany was able to outsmart Khalil again. She asked him to go back to where she was staying at, which was a whole hotel room at the time, just so she can go and get her phone. So when Khalil drove her back there to get her phone, the two walked inside and headed to her room. And I forgot to mention that Tiffany was able to make all of these requests with Khalil because her tears and blood were actually loosening the duct tape that was around her mouth. And that is just... But now at this point, as they're both walking to the room, Tiffany did have the duct tape off her mouth and a jacket was draped over her shoulders to hide the handcuffs. So Khalil was actually at a good distance from Tiffany when they were walking and he must have been somewhere behind her because once they arrived to her room, because of the distance, she was able to quickly get into her hotel room and close the door behind her. And I read that the deadbolt automatically locked, so this left Khalil on the outside. And North Jersey also reported that after Tiffany got in her room to safety, she opened the room's curtains just to show Khalil, who was standing there, that she got the handcuffs off by dangling them at him. (laughs) And that's when Wheeler Weaver took off. And I also read that at some time, he actually came back and left Tiffany's car keys somewhere. Remember, she was the one that was initially driving. So Tiffany went straight to the authorities and told them everything. She even tried to set Khalil up to come back to the room so that police can get him. But law enforcement just did not take her serious. Even as she was sitting there with Khalil's handcuffs still dangling from her wrists, they accused her of prostitution, not to mention that Tiffany was four months pregnant. And this is messed up. Like, this is just so messed up. No matter your line of work or where you come from, the police are supposed to be here to protect and serve everyone. This woman could have lost her life, but she was judged for what they thought she did for a living. And on top of that, she was a black woman. So she had two odds against her. She could have ended up being another victim who was who is no longer here. Tiffany Taylor should have been protected that day. But that didn't happen, and you know what happened after Tiffany went to the police? Seven days later, Sarah was murdered. And this is very upsetting because had they had taken Tiffany more serious, Sarah would still be here today. Her death could have been prevented. Three weeks after Tiffany was able to escape, she read the paper on Wheeler Weaver's connection to Sarah's murder. She ended up actually going to his arraignment on December 13th, 2016. And even though she was scared, she walked right into the courthouse. After the brief hearing, she found the courage to walk up to the lead prosecutor and she ended up testifying against Khalil, explaining all the events that went down, even down to her initially taking his money at first. Tiffany was not ashamed. She was a fighter, and she knew that her story was extremely important. So in cases like these, um, many people, and I'm definitely guilty of being one of them, many people always want to know about the perpetrator. 
Like, there's always questions you ask yourself, like, why did he do this? Were there signs in him growing up? What was his background or upbringing like? And from the little bit of information that I found out on Khalil, it seems everyone who knew him knew he was a quiet one. He had very few friends growing up. He didn't really attend parties like his peers did, nor did he play any sports. And a classmate from his high school even mentioned that he didn't really have any girlfriends while in school. He was never the center of attention, but he wasn't bullied either. He pretty much just stayed to himself. One of Khalil's few close friends told North Jersey News that he was a funny person to be around, even though he didn't do much talking. His classmate also added that Khalil came from a good home. He didn't try to impress anyone with his wardrobe like many of his classmates did. He typically just wore a plaid shirt with a pair of khakis. Khalil was working as a security guard for a grocery store at the time of these murders, and he also DJed some parties on the side as well. But y'all get this, Khalil grew up surrounded by law enforcement workers. His stepfather is a police detective and his uncle was a retired Newark PD detective. And that just blows mine. Like, (laughs) I don't know. His friend also said that Khalil was exploring becoming a police officer himself, where he would research all the required training and tests that he would need to take. But that's not the only thing that Khalil was looking up in his phone. One of the biggest pieces of evidence that caught up to him was his Google search history. Investigators were able to determine from his cell phone records that he had also looked up the following searches homemade poisons to kill humans, how to create drugs potent enough to knock a human being unconscious, how to kill a person using household chemicals like bleach and ammonia, what chemical could you put on a rag and hold to someone's face to make them go to sleep immediately, and to top it all off, he also looked up, quote, if I erase all the contents and settings, will it track, end quote. Yes, Khalil. The answer is yes. It's always going to be yes. It just does not work like that. Everything you search online can be found. On February 27th, 2017, a grand jury indicted Khalil Wheeler Weaver on a total of 11 counts, one count of murder for each of the three deaths, as well as attempted murder for the attack that he did on Tiffany Taylor. Among those charges were aggravated arson, aggravated sexual assault, kidnapping, and desecration of human remains in addition to others. Wheeler Weaver pled not guilty. He did acknowledge having encounters with all four women, but from what I found, his only defense was that he dropped all of them back off to their destinations safely. On his trial day of December 19, 2019, Khalil Wheeler Weaver was found guilty of all 11 charges, which were all felonies. His sentencing has not taken place yet due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but I think it's safe to say that he is not going anywhere. The victims of these terrible crimes have families and loved ones that care for them. No matter what they choose to do for a living, that doesn't make it okay. And Khalil Wheeler Weaver knew exactly who to plot on. He definitely had an MO. He chose vulnerable people. 
young black women who he thought would not be missed. But he met his match with these victims and their friends and their families, especially Sarah Butler's. I read in an article that her mom said, quote, he messed with the wrong girl, end quote, and I couldn't agree with her more. Had Sarah's loved ones not been as relentless, who knows if this man would have gotten caught. His first three victims were all overlooked because of who they were. And, you know, the one thing, and I don't even want to say good thing, but a positive that came out this whole thing for me is that women basically cracked this case open. Black women helped solve this case. Renisha Patterson took down Wheeler Weaver's license plate number, which law enforcement was able to tie to him in connection with Robin West. Amina Nobles connected law enforcement to his phone number, as well as the spot where her friend Joanne Brown was kidnapped. And Bassania Daly, Sarah's sister, along with the help of her friends, connected the dots by going onto Sarah's social media account, where they were able to lure this man into the presence of the police. They basically did their own sting operation and risked their own lives. Then there was Sarah's friend, who found her mom's abandoned car that she was driving that night. And then lastly, Tiffany Taylor, who gave her story and testified in trial how she could have been Khalil Wheeler Weaver's fourth murder victim. Adam Wells, who is the assistant prosecutor of Essex County, he said, quote, without these women doing the things that they did, standing up for their friend, we would not have anything to work with, end quote. And I'm just going to leave you guys with another quote, and I don't really get historical too much, but I'm going to quote Malcolm X. And he said, quote, the most disrespected person in America is the black woman. The most unprotected person in America is the black woman. The most neglected person in America is the black woman. Robin West, Joanne Brown, Sarah Butler. Tiffany Taylor, their lives mattered. Their stories matter. And on that note, thank you guys. I will be back next week with another episode.